in just a moment, I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Invite you to have your Bible ready. It will be on the screen, but I'll be referencing that brief but powerful passage of Scripture throughout the message, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Before I uh, read the Scripture, I'd like to invite us to a time of prayer. Would you bow with me? Be in God's presence in a time of silence, and then I'll lead us in our family prayer time. Our loving God and creator and sustainer, the one who is our rescuer and our loving and merciful Heavenly Father, we come into your presence with gratitude for the forgiveness that we experience despite our many failings and brokenness, rebellion. We thank you for forgiveness that we experience through Jesus Christ, your Son. And we pray today that our walk with you will be up to date current before we leave this place today, that in every way you would have permission to scour the corners of our hearts, clean out the cobwebs, refresh us, renew us, fill us with your Holy Spirit. We bring to you today lots and lots of personal concerns for health, for comfort to the grieving, ministry of encouragement to those who are disappointed, those who've experienced pain this week. Would you, God, love and tenderly bless all that's broken among us and keep us looking to you and trusting your goodness. We pray for our world and particularly we pray for peace in Syria where peace seems so elusive. For the many suffering who have fled and who cannot flee. We pray for our own United States of America. Again, violence is racking our nation. We pray for those in law enforcement, those emergency responders. We pray for those who are victims. We pray for those who experience injustice in our world. And we pray that, God, you would give us eyes to see in hearts of compassion that we will not immediately polarize but remain faithful to the gospel and follow Jesus in every situation. We ask God that you give us understanding about what it means to walk in life-changing faith. And this morning that you would open our hearts to the truth and the freshness of Scripture. So we gather our attention around your word We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Now, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and I invite you to stand as we hear God's word and as God's word uh, comes and moves among us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I thought 
we would begin this morning with a quiz. Uh, I want you to see if you can identify a song. Um, Actually, uh, it was the theme for a TV series, and then it's been the theme for a series of movies. And I want to see if you know what this song, what what storyline, what series this goes with. And I want you to just take a listen. Anybody know? I thought it was the doxology. It's Mission, it's Mission Impossible. Right. I love the old TV series. The movie's okay. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of high-tech uh, theatrics and uh, uh, camera tricks, but the old TV series were, uh, was, was pretty amazing. There was one episode I remember uh, in which the uh, IM team had this unbelievable task of trying to uh, fool uh, some passengers on a railway passenger train. Uh, the goal was to uncouple one passenger car from the rest of the train without the occupants of that particular car knowing that they had been unhitched. And so they went through this elaborate plan. They waited until nighttime. All the passengers had pulled the shades and gone to sleep for the night. Then they unhooked that particular car but they had devised a system to keep the rocking motion of the sense of movement. They made provision for the sounds, the Doppler effect of going by buildings, meeting other trains, and that sensation using all of the senses that the train was still moving while indeed the train was going nowhere. That that car was going nowhere. Now, we are in a sermon series. Because of Christ, everything has changed. Based on our visioning, the implementation, the movement toward God's vision for us, setting sail. One of the sails, the one we're dealing with in this sermon series, is life-changing faith, or because of Christ, everything has changed. And I want to I pose this question. What if... In your personal discipleship and mine, in our Christian growth, what if we're not really moving and making progress spiritually, not becoming more like Christ, but there are enough things going on to create the sense of movement and the sounds around us as if we're growing and changing in Christ, but we're really not? If that were the case, would you want to know about it? Would you want someone who loves you to tell you? Hey, you're not really moving. It's just the it's just you're standing still but you're pretending. It's the sensations around you. The same for a church. What if a church is not growing into the image of Christ? What if the church is not uh, continually being changed into the image of Christ, but there's so much activity and there's there's great music and there are great activities in the building, but we are uncoupled from the train. We're not really moving but we just have that sensation, that illusion of movement. Would you want to know about it? If it was true about yourself or about your church? I hope so. See, part of the problem is how we measure growing spiritually. How we measure growing in Christ or 
being changed by Christ. Does it ever occur to you that uh, we can be active in church? We can attend every time the doors are open and still not be being changed by Jesus Christ? Does it ever occur to you that you can know a lot of the Bible and even quote the Bible chapter and verse and not be growing spiritually? You know, you can be very patriotic, love our nation, and that's not equivalent to growing as a disciple. You can uh, be involved in the community and lots of projects that are helping uh, with the needs in our community, all of it admirable, but not be growing, not be changed by Jesus Christ. See, the truth is that Faith is more than mental assent to a set of doctrines. Faith is more than a positive mental attitude, waking up each morning and saying, I'm going to be optimistic about this day. Faith is allowing ourselves to be captured by Jesus Christ and then allowing Him to transform our lives daily. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to experience life-changing faith. Did you notice the scripture says that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice? Paul's way of saying our total personality, our total lives, not just our Sunday life, but our everyday life. We are to worship God not only by going to church, but worship God by going to work. Worship God through our hobbies. Worship God through our school. Worship God through our relationships. We serve God and honor God every day of the week and thus create an altar not only in this church, but an altar in the world, an altar in the city as we live for Christ 24-7 in all of our connections and relationships. Or as the message says it so well, your everyday life, your ordinary life, You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. This is what it means to present our bodies as living sacrifices. An altar in the city. I I beseech you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Surrender is what leads to transformation. In fact, did you know that Bill Wilson, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, made this very insightful observation. He said, without surrender, there is no transformation. Now, that's not only true for alcoholics, that's true for everyone. That we can say we want to be changed uh, to be more like Christ, we can say we want to grow to be more like Christ, but in reality, it never happens without surrender. That's that sacrifice, that yielding of our lives on the altar in the city to say that all of my life belongs to God and I will 
We will never experience transformation without surrender. Daily surrender. Surrender of our egos, our, our way, our, our pride, our, our plans. Daily surrender. And without that, no transformation. In fact, we are called to do daily what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Jesus Christ went to the cross and gave up all of his privileges, gave up all of his plans, and he died on the cross for us. He lived the surrender. He lived the surrender. And without that surrender, Jesus would have never experienced resurrection because it was only through his surrender that he experienced transformation. And we never experience transformation without the surrender. And did you notice the way the Apostle Paul very artfully contrasted in verse 2 the difference between conforming to the world and being transformed? The difference between conform and transform? It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. I like the old J.B. Phillips paraphrase of the New Testament J.B. Phillips paraphrased this, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You see, the Greco-Roman world to which Paul was, uh, which Paul was living in was a, was a cruel and brutal world. He's writing to the Roman Christians about not letting that Greco-Roman culture squeeze them into its mold. In that culture, uh, life was cheap. Uh, Sex was cheap with little connection to married commitment. Uh, Women and children were brutalized. Power and violence were worshipped. Does that sound like any culture you know anything about? And into that kind of world, Paul says, don't let this crazy, sick culture press you into its mold. You know, uh, one of the things that I talk to young people about, but it goes for everybody here, when you're in relationships with culture, in relationships with people in this culture, be careful to pay attention to which way the influence is, is running. Is the influence running from you to the other person or from the other person to you? In other words, is the other person influencing you more than you as a follower of Christ are influencing the other person? Which way is the influence flowing? But there's a deeper question embedded in this brief phrase, don't be conformed, but be transformed. It's the business of we followers of Jesus trying to press Jesus into our mold to make Jesus fit our personal views and perspectives, whether it's politics, worldview, personal ethics, choices about our life. We're so adept at creating Christ in our image. We're so skilled at taking the way of Jesus and forcing it to the constraints of our preferences our way and our culture and our comfort. But Paul says it's the other way around. 
We don't take Christ and get him to fit inside our cookie cutter. We allow Christ to throw away that cookie cutter and to do things his way, to be transformed. Did you notice in verse 2 that the verb transformed is passive? That means that we're not the actors, we're the ones acted upon. Be transformed. We don't do the transforming. I don't do this. It's Christ who does it in me as I I allow him and, and as I surrender. The word transform in the Greek comes into our English language. Are you ready for this word? It is the word metamorphosis. It comes from the Greek into the English as metamorphosis. Think cocoon and uh, woolly worm and butterfly. Metamorphosis. In fact, it is the New Testament word that is used by Matthew and Mark to describe Jesus' transfiguration. When Jesus took three of his disciples up on the mountain and he was gloriously physically changed into this glowing, brilliant presence... He was transfigured, transformed. Only for us, the transformation is not yet physical, but it is to be a transformation of character and a transformation of our conduct as we daily surrender on this altar in the city in our everyday walk-around lives. That's the transformation. How does it happen? Paul goes on in verse 2, by the renewing of your minds. Most of us don't like to have our minds renewed. We like to have our own opinions confirmed. I thought I might get an amen on that, but obviously not. We don't, we're not interested in having our minds renewed. We're, having it, we're more interested in having our opinions confirmed. But God showed me something this week in my quiet time. I was reading a passage about Jesus in the Gospels and his teaching ministry, and it dawned on me that Jesus affected so much, not only through casting out demons, healing sick people, and preaching powerful sermons. He he accomplished so much by teaching. Jesus is by nature a rabbi, a teacher. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is teacher. So we have access to this indwelling Christ who is this constant teacher to renew our minds. But guess what, people? Our minds cannot be renewed if we already think we have all the answers. Our minds cannot be renewed if we already know everything. There's no space for that to happen. I want to show you a quote by Eric Hoffer, a 20th century philosopher. He said, in times of change, the learners will inherit the earth while the knowers will find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Yep, Uh uh-huh. That's true for us as individual disciples. That's true for us as a church. If we already know everything, we are beautifully equipped for a world that is no more. But if we are disciples, learners, followers, if we allow our minds to be renewed, then we can be in the present and in the future. We can't be learners if we won't allow our minds to be renewed. Two Sundays ago, I was in Lviv, Ukraine, 
worshiping with our partner congregation, Yelisei Pronin, who has preached here, uh, he's been here more than once, uh, is pastoring the church, and the student whom we support with our finances, Sergei, is his assistant in this church. Brand new church start, uh, and Yelisei was telling me, we have 30 members, and he said, we have a simple plan. We will disciple new believers one person at a time. That's so simple, it's revolutionary. We will disciple, we will grow a church by discipling believers one person at a time. And there is no substitute for that. He was talking about that life-changing faith, that renewal of the mind. You know what happens when a church does not disciple followers of Jesus? those followers drop out or they sit around and wait for the pastors to do it all or they grow dissatisfied and fussy and self-centered insisting on a consumer church. But Jesus has called us to be learners. Jesus has called us to be disciples so, are you with me? Are you ready to move from a posture of knowing to a posture of learning? Are you willing and ready to have your minds renewed by the transforming power of Christ? Are you ready to surrender to Jesus Christ that this church might be an altar in this city to honor him.